Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for the Ogletree Deacons podcast today. My name is Kevin Bland, and I am a shareholder in the Orange County office here at Ogletree Deacons. Here with me today, across from me, is Karen Tynan, our West Coast Practice Group Chair and a shareholder in our Sacramento office. We're discussing today in 2023, some of the Cal OSHA enforcement trends and some important points to realize from a practical standpoint and a legal standpoint to help uh, employers better understand regulation interpretation and kind of the state of California when it comes to dealing with Cal OSHA and investigations. So Karen, why don't we start with uh, a little bit of what you're seeing in some, maybe some new cases, not by name by anything, but kind of subject matter and an idea of some things that your employers ought to know what's going on out there from the appeals board. Let's talk about that, Kevin. About every, I'd say two to three months in the Cal OSHA reporter, and I think you will 100% agree with me, there's always a late appeals case. Late appeals cases, There's no excusable neglect. There's no relief from default in filing your appeal late. It's incredibly difficult to get out of a late appeal. And when we read these cases in the Cal OSHA reporter, it's disappointing because you can see maybe an employer didn't have great mail practices or they didn't understand the deadlines or maybe they were a little negligent and The appeals board doesn't care how much you cry. They don't care, you know, about your dog getting run over. None of that. If your appeal is late, it's late. Do you you agree, Kevin? Absolutely. And there's two issues that come up with that 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 I've seen and experienced myself with clients. Is one is the person that signs for the mail doesn't (laughs) know what they're signing. It just it's like a rote, right? It gets put on a desk, and it's a it's the citation package, and the clock starts running the minute they sign for it. So yes. uh, if you have had an investigation, it's important to make your mail folks know, hey, we're watching for a citation. It could be now, sometime between now and six months, but you watch for something from the state. The other thing that I've seen happen too, and this is something that I think you and I have talked about before, and I, I push for a change in this, but unlike every other legal document, If you're a corporation, where do you have to serve a legal document? On the registered agent for service or process, not Cal OSHA. They just have to send it to the location they showed up to. So imagine a big resale chain. They send it, the managers change. So the manager that handled it, they don't know what it is. They put it there. That was was Bob's or Susie's before. Put it on a pile and they've blown their No, they put it in the circular file, Kevin. (laughs) That was the file. (laughs) I'm 100% with you and... That's our update. It's every two to three months. We see the appeals board deny a late appeal and it is written in stone case law and regulation. There is virtually no relief from a late appeal. Now, Uh, let me add something to that too real quick, Karen. If you do realize it's late, 
Sometimes we can find something. Like right. they the, sent it to the, I have had this where they sent it to the wrong right. location based on what they have in their records or something. So there are ways, but immediately, you want to do that immediately, get a hold of somebody. Right. Because there are cases where Cal OSHA mails the citations to the show up yard, mm-hmm. right, that they went to instead right. of the, the right. business address. I'm with right. you on that. So two other kind of cases I want to talk about. Earlier this year in 2023, there was a DAR, a decision after reconsideration on a heat illness case. We dive into that case pretty deeply in our 2023 heat illness podcast. To f- suffice to say that how close you keep water uh, as part of your heat illness plan, there has been a case law about it now. And it really requires employers to take a look at what is feasible for how close the water can be. And any type of barriers or interference in employees obtaining water and accessing water are problematic. You agree with that, Kevin? Do I agree with the decision? (laughs) No, but do I agree with that's what they've made the law? Yes. Yes. And then lastly, I want to remind listeners that every uh, six months or a year, there'll be a decision about the dual employer relationship. We see this a lot with staffing companies. And uh, here's my, my practical take on dual employer cases and how they'll be analyzed. The inspectors will come in and they're just going to cite everybody and let the judge figure it out. Do you agree, Kevin? <laughs> yeah, yes, I would. I would. And I would add to that, too, is I, I find some clients get a little confused because they hire the staffing company and they say, hey, we expect them to come out ready to rock and roll. Cal OSHA looks at the secondary employer more strict as if they're they're their own employee. Yes. And so they're really, so think of it that way. The staffing employee, the temp employee, is sitting in the same shoes as your full-time regular employee when Cal OSHA comes out and starts analyzing where they trained, they following your IAPP, whatever the case may be. Yes, and responding to the inspector with, oh, well, that's not my employee. It's not a defense, right, no, Kev? A- absolutely, absolutely not. We've touched on a couple of cases that we've seen in 2023 out of the appeals board. Let's go down to the enforcement level and talk about enforcement trends in 2023. What are you seeing? Has, has COVID enforcement tapered off? What, what are we seeing now? Yeah, no, absolutely. COVID enforcement has tapered off. And for this, because I, I've been doing this like you, I mean, for 20 plus years, and we've seen the evolution or change or the ebb and flow of Cal OSHA and its enforcement. The thing that I've noticed a lot with enforcement now, one, of course, there's new inspectors. The old yes. days of, hey, we have a former carpenter or doing inspections on construction sites and a former meat processor doing inspections and meat processing and so on is kind of gone. Now they're like one size fits all, a lot of new folks. So what I see is, I call it programmatic type inspection. I know programmed inspection in terms of right. but what I mean by that, they come out and we're going to talk about document quiz later, but ask you for all your different programs, your HASCOM, your IIPP, your heat illness, uh, your 
bloodborne pads or whatever industry you're in and, and the programs, and then they take them back to the office and go through them with a fine-tooth comb and find programmic citations or things that aren't exactly way the way they are, as opposed to the old days, I felt like they'd come out and say, does it look like the program? Are they really going right. have a safety culture here? And they have their IPP, but what's going on out in the field? Does it look like everybody's putting guardrails up? Does it look like everyone's tying off and all that? They Agreed. still do that, but now they have a tendency to really want to go down the program. Well, no, I think it is a, a trend that we'll see IIPP violations for a lack of training documentation or an IIPP violation because maybe a particular program wasn't available. And so I agree with you. And I'm also seeing more IIPP violations issued as serious citations without a lot of basis or meat to them. Just, well, it's an IIPP violation, therefore it has to be serious. Right, that and there was an accident, so therefore you did not effectively implement yes. your IPP. And by the way, there's a DAR uh, out there recently from my case, and we won on yes. the DAR that talk uh, that talks about the application of IPP whenever there was an accident, and the fact that just because you had an accident doesn't mean that your IPP is a failure. The problem sometimes is you've got five citations, that's a general, people have a tendency not to fight those, right? right. And they get thrown in, they become a trend and easy easy pickings for Cal OSHA. So, but with the repeat being more prevalent now, we see more and more yes. repeats. more repeats. Very important that you're fighting in your appeal on those small IIPP, because that's so ripe for repeat violations in the future. I agree. And that brings us to what kind of citations are we seeing issued right now? We were talking recently. I have a bundle, a gaggle, a shock of eyewash citations. It seems like maybe there was some training of inspectors about the ease with which to cite, whether it's a warehouse, maybe they have batteries in a warehouse and the, the idea of an eyewash station by battery locations or eyewash stations um, in a machine shop, that kind of thing. I'm seeing a lot of eyewash. What else are you seeing in 2023 for citation trends? Well, I agree. I want to add on your eyewash because I've had some weird ones. Dishwashing liquid that was in the kitchen that has a caustic and they're, oh and they're looking at it. So I've seen the same trend right there. But the other thing we've seen, of course, the IIPP, we've also seen a lot of citations and there's various regulations, but there's one, for example, of piling and stacking of materials. And yes. so the part that's difficult for us as employers for compliance is that it's, the, I'm going to paraphrase the regulation, is you stack things in such a way that they don't fall. Right? Then yes. that's a paraphrase. So you're in compliance until it falls. Yes. Right? And then how do you prove you're in compliance because well, it fell? It couldn't have been stacked that way. And so those are very difficult. We're seeing more and more of those types of citations where they don't look at, I, my personal opinion, the investigator didn't dig it in. So did you have them stacked in such a way that they shouldn't have fallen? Did, they, did an employee do something that recreated that hazard even though it was stacked? Or did something fail that wasn't expected uh, to fail yes. in that? Uh, 
So there, we're seeing a trend in, in those, those types of uh, citations as well. I agree for those kind of citations, and I think it's helpful for employers to know that so they can do their own issue spotting and try to avoid those like the eyewash stations and stacking, things like that, the, the kind of obvious ones, right? right? So along with enforcement trends, I've been seeing lately a lot of document requests that are incredibly broad, lengthy, include improper items requested. I wanted to talk about that to see if you feel the same way, what you're seeing, and kind of how California employers can understand that document request process and what the boundaries are. Yes, no, and I have seen, and I think if you're listening to this podcast as an employer, just because it's on the document request and requested doesn't necessarily mean it's gospel and you have to <laughs> respond to it or respond to it in the form. Yeah, remember the name of the document, document request. So number one is it doesn't say document request to recreate documents that's responsive. So when it right. asks for some things, if you don't have a document that 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 is like uh, a list of all the employees and their date of birth and well, what they were doing that day. Well, you don't right. have a document like that. You don't have to create that. You may have an employee list or something that's responsive. The other is interrogatories. Explain right. the incident in detail that occurred on January 1st. Right. That's not a document request. That's an interrogatory, and you don't have interrogatories. In California, we don't have interrogatories and we don't have requests for admissions, right? Oh, correct. We have documents are a form of discovery and we have depositions and subpoenas. But it, so it's a little different because other state plan states do have interrogatories. Right, right. And right. and I think it's critical when you see a document request and I would say probably 20 to 40% of the document request I see will have an item that is completely off. Like payroll the, records for the last five years for every employee that was on this right. job site. That's yes. not within their purview. For example, the, the other thing along that line of interrogatories, there's another thing that, you know, Karen, you and I talk about mm -hmm. this all the time. There's a balance of cooperation. You want to try to cooperate, but make, we need to, uh, you know, us and our clients will follow what the law requires. They need to follow what the law requires. So let's talk about one, like one of those questions. It's an interrogatory. It may be kind of meaningless. And so then they have a tendency to want to send the email or draft a little note. If it's some information that we don't necessarily want to force an interview of, I will say, pick up the phone and Let's call the inspector and say, what are you trying? What do you want to know here? Talk to them about it. Get them, try to get them that information. You don't have something in writing uh, because you don't have a document that's responsive. They're getting the information and maybe avoiding five more interviews for them to try to get that interview. So you do have, there's an art to this as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And so, for example, if I see a document request that'll say, you know, please provide a list of employees working on Saturday. Yeah, you know what? I might type up that list. Yeah. If I see a document request that says, please provide the narrative of the incident, yeah, I'm not creating that document. No. You agree? I agree completely. <laughs> and not to confuse that with uh, your accident, because course, our IPP requires you to have your accident report, but that is not a narrative of the incident necessarily. 
Right. And as my case last year, remember that Robert and I won, the judge ruled and it was upheld on a DAR that the accident report can be requested, but if it is privileged and it has been done under your attorney's purview, the IIPP does not require that that accident investigation be tendered to Cal OSHA. Under the regulation, it says you have to investigate your accident. Right. And... Uh, but it doesn't say that you have to turn over your accident investigation report to Cal OSHA. That's a very, very important point. So if no one gets anything else out of this today, that's that was I buried the lead, it. didn't yeah. I? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that that actually we were really pleased but, with that that ruling, and I think it was an important uh, yes. distinction that was actually needed in the case law in California. Oh, a- absolutely. And while we're talking about accident reports, I'm going to mm-hmm. back up to. The minute the accident happens and and calling that report in, I've seen this trend, uh, and I think you probably have too, is what the person that takes the intake, writing down what they are alleging you said to them on the phone and bringing that up as Exhibit A as an admission of this is what happened. Real example, I had a case where by the time it got to the person report, they thought that there had been a cave-in. Well, it turns out there wasn't a cave-in. There wasn't any. Someone drove off the road with a forklift. It wasn't the road fell apart, but they were trying to claim that. Now, fortunately, in that case, we had pictures of the road in pristine yes. condition. But the the moral of the story is when you make that report, all your obligation is to what you actually know at the time at of the that report. Time. At the time of the report. I think those are great points. And... I'd like to close it out. This was a question I really wanted us to talk about in this podcast is what we're seeing right now with inspectors and their rights, what they're asking to do out at job sites. Are they pushing the envelope a little bit? You know, you talked about having some newer inspectors out there. What can you tell us about your viewpoint for inspectors out in the field and what they're doing? Sure. So one of the big things that I key in on sometimes, especially with uh, the the newer inspectors, is when they're dealing with interviews of employees. Now, the thing that I think is important to remember, they have a right to ask for interviews. The inspector does. But yes. the one that holds the bundle of rights is the employee. The employee has the right 100%. To, to be interviewed, the right not to be interviewed, the right to have counsel present, the right to have management present, the right to have their mom in the room. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. That's their right, right? Yes. And as an employer, we can't discourage them talking from them because that's retaliation. We can educate them on what their rights are, and then yes. they can make their own decision. And when they do make a decision like to have you or me in there, we get that pushback. Well, yeah. That's unfair pushback because it's the employee's right. And then when it comes to supervisors, foremen uh, and supervisors, that right lies with the company to have counsel present because they're an agent of the company and not the inspector's right. And I think the inspectors sometimes don't get that distinction or they want to push back on it. And frankly, one of my favorite stories is I had an employee that wanted me in the room and the inspector was adamant, you know, she's the company's lawyer you know, she's not here for you. You really should just be interviewed by yourself. And he turned and looked at me and put his arm around my shoulder and turned to the inspector and said, Karen's my home girl. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> That's great. So That's we great. proceeded with the the investigation, but that was I'd never thought of myself that way yeah. <laughs> professionally, but I, I loved either, it. <laughs> so um, what about demonstrations? I've been seeing more inspectors trying to say, well, could you demonstrate this machine for me? I, I just really need to see the the decapitator 3000 <laughs> operate can you can you just show me what do uh, you think of that well <laughs> what i really think about it <laughs> well no what i what do i think about it first of all we have the demonstration how is the machine operating normally and maybe and if it's a machine that caused it uh, it may be locked out we're not demonstrating that that's a two. good point and the other thing is that you have operations going this machine may be operating on Tuesday afternoon, Friday morning, and, and Thursday morning, and that's when that machine's used. You're more than welcome to come during regular business hours and watch yes. the operation of it. That, I think that's fair game. Employers uh, have a tendency sometimes to want to over-cooperate. Yes. You're not going to get an extra ticket for refusing to do this. You might get the ticket that you're trying to avoid by doing it. And so I 100% agree. And I've had the same pushback and, in fact, had an inspector that said, hey, could you guys demonstrate the improper lockout that I think was done? No, we're not going to improperly lock out a machine, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> I know that it can sometimes feel awkward, right? Yeah. Employers, you want to cooperate with a state agency. And when someone's standing there saying, well, you know, I need to see a demonstration. I need to see a recreation. It can feel a little awkward for employers. I do have one quick story if we have time for it. Sure. So I have a cooperation story that I didn't want to cooperate with, but it worked. So here we are. We're out at the site and uh, they wanted to go inside and look at these uh, electrical panels that had like 680 kV high voltage electrical panels. Well, in order to go into that room and open the panels, you have to wear the full PPE. So does the inspector. Yes. Right? And the inspector wanted to go take some pictures. I go, okay, we can cooperate here, but this is still isn't going to work for him, but we're going to get the cooperation points. So we suited him up in this big suit, <laughs> and then he's starting to walk in. I go, no, you got to wear the gloves. And so he's like, <laughs> But I can't work the camera that well. You got to wear the proper PPE. So we got cooperation points and didn't have the pictures taken. That's a good story, Kevin. I like that. Well, uh, we'll close out and say thanks for listening to us today. Uh, look for our blog articles on ogletree.com. We have recorded webinars related to a ton of safety topics. And we hope everybody stays safe out there. Thanks, everyone. Have a great, safe day. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.